The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Personology is a production of iHeartMedia. The Beatles have been famous in a way that few others can even imagine, existing in a rapidly changing time period when a new era of growing globalization and increased communication were at odds with the old system of media gatekeepers who controlled music distribution. The pressures were almost unimaginable. This is the second part of this two-part look at John Lennon. So if you haven't heard the first part, I suggest you find that now. My guest once again is Jordan Runtug, one of the two hosts of the podcast, Rivals, a show about the greatest music rivalries in history. Check it out. But now we'll dive back into John's story. At this point, the Beatles are just starting to become world famous. But in the meantime, John has been dealing with the death of his mother, a crumbling relationship with his first wife, and trying to be a father while traveling the globe as an international music megastar. All this time, he is writing music, right? He is writing. And I think, you know, if people look back at even the songs then, they all sound cheery and upbeat and love me do and so on. But there are songs like Help. You know, there there are songs that clearly belie some of this emotional longing and emotional difficulty and trauma along the way. Yeah, it's funny. Going through John's story, kind of in a lot of ways, the most boring period when you actually get down to the emotional graph of it, are the Beatlemania years, because he actually just felt like he was asleep for most of it in a lot of ways. He, was, he said he just was miserable, and he, he would cite Help as the first real song he ever wrote because it was actually coming from him. It was a cry for help. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. 
he would call it his fat Elvis period when he just was indulging in all the food, all the women, all the drugs, all the drink, everything you can imagine. He got into rock and roll to avoid convention and structure, and suddenly he was more structured and reined in than a normal person through fame. It's a common thing to hear celebrities now, but at the time, there was really no precedent for fame on that global scale. I mean, maybe Sinatra and Elvis and Glenn Miller or something like that. But they didn't know the part that you can't leave your house. You're you're stuck. They they would get a, a hotel suite and they'd all be in the bathroom because it was the only room where they could like get any real peace, you know? They'd all just would hide in the big bathroom of their hotel suite and just to hang out and be together. So it was really tough for him. He found himself in a life that he didn't really want. He somehow wound up in what was called a London suburb. They called it the stockbroker's belt, which is where all the rich people would get mansions outside of London, which is not, you know, you think of John Lennon, you don't think of stockbrokers. <laughs> no. And he had this boring house in a boring suburb with a, sorry, pretty boring wife. Paul McCartney would later say, yeah, Cynthia at the time would tell me that she really wanted him to just calm down and, and settle down and with the pipe and the slippers. And he said, that was when alarm bells went off in my head because I know that's not the John Lennon that... Well, she wanted him to stop doing drugs. Right. She definitely wanted him to start being around his son. But yes, she was, she was not sort of intellectually and artistically perhaps a good match for him. He didn't like performing and having this public, public life on the one hand. On the other hand, it did give him some structure, some reason to get up in the morning and do something as opposed to later after, you know, they stopped and he was really rudderless and and didn't know what he was going to do with his life. But then there's this important juncture where their fame grows so huge that at some point John makes the statement, wow, the Beatles (laughs) were like bigger than Jesus. And this is not taken well, internationally speaking. No, he he was talking to a journalist who was a, a very close friend of his. He was being sarcastic. He was he was kind of saying, "Well, what's wrong with the church? They, you know, the Beatles are bigger than Jesus right now. They got to do more." It was printed in in a very large interview in England in March of '66. And no one picked up on it. It was just one line in a very, very massive interview. And then it got printed in the United States out of context in an American teen magazine. It was called Date Book. Out of context, the Beatles are bigger than Jesus. Obviously pretty inflammatory uh, without everything around it kind of describing his argument and his point. It kind of hit right when the band were going on tour in the United States in 1966. And of course... That would take him right through the South, South, whole Bible Belt. And it was really pretty horrific. You had Klansmen out front of the arena. They had death threats. They had people lighting firecrackers in the middle of their shows. And there's footage of, I think in Memphis, somebody lit a firecracker on stage. And you see all the Beatles turn to one another to see who got hit. There would be bullet holes in the fuselage of the planes they were taking. It it was really terrifying. Really terrifying. And of course, John had to be shoved out front. They would landed in, in some southern city and George said, send John out first. He's the one they want. <laughs> and and he had to and go. To, and then they went to the Philippines where, of course, I mean, you know, that this right, was a dictatorship, I mean, a completely Christian country. Yeah. People were horribly upset. And well, that was actually unrelated. That they that was before the whole Jesus thing. That was actually a few months before. And they went and they, they inadvertently snubbed the Marcus, Ferdinand oh, yes. Marcus. For some whatever reason, they didn't attend this lunch with Ferdinand and Imelda Marcus. And you don't turn down an invitation from the dictator. Yes. And so all of a sudden, all the police support which they desperately needed because of fans, was removed. Creepy things, like they'd arrive at the airport and right when they get on the escalator, the escalator would be turned off. Angry, very, you know, pro-Marcus people would attack them at the airport. And of course, they had no police support, so they were just covering themselves with 
guitar cases. John did not enjoy performing when there was so much shrieking and screaming that he could really not even hear himself. Oh, yeah. He used to say we could have been waxworks for all the good we did. Like, no, couldn't, nobody heard anything. It was a freak show. And he felt like a performing flea instead of a, an artist or not even an artist, not even a, a musician, just a, a sort of freak, which is something he probably felt all through his childhood in Liverpool. And I don't think he really relished feeling that way again. Well, you know, it's interesting. He did feel like a freak in the sense that he made many comments about saying that he saw the world differently than yeah. anybody else he knew. And I think he describes that both in an alienating way, like I feel so alone because no one else sees things the way I do, but it also gave him a sense of specialness. Oh yeah, he would always, as a kid, he said he always used to wonder, am I insane or am I a genius? And he would read biographies of Van Gogh and James Joyce and Oscar Wilde and Dylan Thomas, and, and it would make him feel better because it, he would say psychedelic visions were, were reality to me. And so when the whole LSD thing hit, it was kind of comforting to him because it was more how he saw the world than the average person. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Interesting. And so this being under a microscope and being the life of the band, on the one hand, being recognized as being special again, right? And being loved in this overwhelming way probably filled a certain psychic need for him. But at the same time, being dogged every moment, it's a double-edged sword. The other side yeah. of intense love or overvaluation <laughs> is devaluation and hate. And that is a good part of what happened sort of in the later life of the Beatles, that there was a lot of devaluing and hating and, and attacking. And in a frightening way, for someone who has seen a lot of mortality of yeah. young people in his young life, so it must have been really terrifying. Oh, I'm sure. And it contributed in a major way to them stopping touring, which removed a lot of stress from his life, but he was also completely rudderless. He would spend his days at his uh, suburban estate, just wake up in the middle of the afternoon. He said he would just be eating LSD like it was candy. He had a mortar and pestle by his bed that he would just grind up random pills and make a, a, an Uber pill and just take it to see what would happen. And he would just watch TV and just kind of zone out. And a crucial song of this period, I think, is um, Good Morning, Good Morning. Uh, on Sgt. Pepper because it's just it's about him watching TV. Good Morning, Good Morning was a cornflakes theme and it's just about him watching afternoon soap operas and uh, nothing to do to save his life. Nothing to do to save his life, call his wife and... It's a very interesting song when you actually look at the lyrics and, and know what it's about. It's just, it's almost like Nowhere Man. It's just a guy, it's a nihilistic song about a guy who's nothing to say, but it's okay. So it's interesting. So... In, in reference to that time period and Sgt. Pepper, many people have tried to understand what Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, what, what, <laughs> what was that about and what really informed that? And of course, there are millions of theories and so on. But he himself says, even though people keep saying, oh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, <laughs> obviously LSD, this must be about LSD, this song. He was using a lot of LSD at that time, but he says the song is not about LSD. He says that specifically. He says that his son, Julian, at age four, you know, gave him this drawing of a girl floating in the sky, he said she was Lucy. That caught his imagination um, and that that was involved in the writing of that song. What he doesn't talk about and is, is interesting and, you know, psychobiographers have gone back and looked at the words specifically 
it's probably a conglomeration of a number of these things. I mean, certainly there's reference to psychotic thinking. I mean, floating in the sky yeah. and so on. All of these things that probably are somewhat references to trips on LSD. But the girl in the sky that you want to be with, but you can't get to does seem to refer to his mother in some way that she's there, but he can't really get that. to her. Yeah. There are a lot of words, if you break them down in, in the song that do refer to separation, particularly separation is the big theme really of his whole life, but yeah. certainly of his whole growing up. And that it came from Julian, who is Julia plus John specifically, and that it also makes a lot of references to words that were in the Lewis Carroll poems that he read as a boy that were hugely important to him and specifically refer to his boyhood times, times when he had his Julia or his Mimi or the woman in his life who was being sort of the mother figure to him. Yeah, no, that, I, I had never thought of that. And it's it's funny, he, he would later say from when they stopped touring through to maybe the White Album period from like late 66 to early 68, he didn't write a lot. Paul was kind of the one who would say, okay, it's now time to make an album. And Paul would have all these songs and he would have to scramble stuff together. If you look at his contributions to Sgt. Pepper, they're all kind of meditations on the mundane. You've got Good Morning, Good Mornings, he said about just basically him watching TV. You've got A Day in a Life, which is just him reading the newspaper propped up on the piano. And you know, I read the news today, oh boy, and, and all the stories in it about potholes and Blackburn, Lancashire. I read the news today, oh boy. And then uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, just his little boy brought home a painting from school. It's funny how, as a guy who didn't like writing story songs, as he called them, like Paul did, like Eleanor Rigby or Penny Lane or things that, that were a bit more of like a novelist, he always prided himself on writing from him. It's very telling what he's writing in this period. And there's a line that I noticed in um, Good Morning, Good Morning. You go to a show, you hope she goes, which... I mean, I'm, I'm probably reading far too much into it, but I always wondered if that was a very, 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 very early reference to Yoko Ono, who he'd met in November of 66, right. right when he was in the midst of this very rudderless period. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be back in a minute. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. 
Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up, like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect, flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you, something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. So John had a lifetime of emotional trauma he was dealing with, coupled with the fact that he was now an international superstar and the pressures that come with that. It was perhaps partly due to this that he spent years in and out of a haze of drugs and alcohol. But a huge event that would change his life happened in November of 1966. He met Yoko Ono. He went to the Indica Art Gallery where she had a a show going on. A mutual friend was, was putting on her show. And he went, he'd been up, I guess, for three days before, just tripping. And so he, he arrived in a really, he was just fried. He he was so out of it that he spent an hour in the car out front trying to get up the nerve to just leave the car and go in. He was, he was not doing well at this yeah. period. And he yeah. went in. He'd not really had much exposure to conceptual art, which was Yoko's medium. Uh, and so he walked in and there'd be things like an apple on a pedestal for 200 pounds, which is a lot of money now, but a lot of money then. And nails on a plexiglass box or something and he just what the hell is this what is this yoko was led over and she was introduced and she handed him a little card that said breathe and he thought oh this is interesting she sent him notes yeah she would send him notes in india this is before they were officially together and actually it's important to know when john was asked about lucy in the sky with diamonds did it have anything to do with yoko he said well i hadn't even met her yet which was untrue he had, whether he remembered or not, right. yeah. he had met her at this art gallery that you're talking about exactly that night. And that was very recent. So they weren't together. He had just gone to see it, but they had talked. And he had had this interaction with her and her art right as he was writing, yeah. basically, Lucy in the Sky. Yoko came along at a time when he is rudderless. He's not feeling good. He sounds depressed, actually, yeah. right? If you look and at pictures of him, he's he lost looks a depressed, ton of weight. Right. He just looks like achingly sad. So he's and- achingly sad, but he's not able to outwardly talk about or process or grieve whatever is making him yeah. sad. Instead, he's just doing a lot of drugs. 
when you look at what is bubbling up in the music and what is bubbling up in the words and whether that also either further informed this desire to be attached to Yoko Ono, who he's just met, who presents, as you said, unlike Cynthia, right? Oh, as this completely the opposite, right? This artistic and sees the world differently than anybody else as he does. That would be a time that he was really longing for someone who would be, you know, would understand him and be his someone, even maybe even more than understand him, attach to him and mother him and be with him. And in fact, he goes on to call her mother, what he calls her mother. And the beginning of their relationship, literally she is with him 24-7. And also I think an important thing to bring up about immediately prior to them getting together in a serious way, Brian Epstein died suddenly. Probably of a drug overdose. Of a, yeah. I mean, there, some people say it was suicide. I don't think it was. I think it was just an accidental mixing booze and pills. Very sudden, although he'd been depressed and maybe wasn't the world's biggest surprise, but to them it came out of the blue. It was a huge shock from a friend's standpoint, from a business standpoint too. And a lot of that, his death, if you could point to one thing that I think kind of heralded the end of, of, of the Beatles, I would say it, it would be that because it made Paul take on a more dominant role, which annoyed certainly John and even the rest of the band. And it, it made them have to take control of their own finances and managerial stuff, which they'd never really been good at or had much of an interest in doing. And suddenly they were squabbling over business stuff that had never really been something that they dealt with. I mean, obviously there's other things like just growing up and wanting to be an individual. So it probably would have happened anyway. If you think about the public psyche, that they couldn't bear the idea that these brothers right. would break themselves up, yeah. right? that that was just an, sort of an unbearable thought. Instead, they really, they blamed Yoko Ono for being the one to come in and break things up. But it, it did have a lot to do with the, the Beatles themselves. Yoko became a constant presence in John's life, including in the studio, which was unheard of. The studio was a sacred space for the four of them, off limits to really anybody. Not even Brian Epstein would ever really come there. He'd only come in occasionally. Mm. And so suddenly Yoko was brought in without really a word to the others. And she would follow him up into the control room to talk to the producer. She'd follow him to the bathroom, which just literally... And people, fans in later years, who blame her for breaking up the Beatles. Who do you think asked her to do that or allowed her to do right, that exactly invited I, her to do that i mean this man who had left his son he left his wife he could leave anybody but he allowed that to well happen. he allowed that he, he demanded that yeah. and she would later say like it was kind of his thing while the band were in india studying um transcendental meditation as you mentioned yoko which, would, which is important very important um, that they yeah. chose to study i mean john was looking for something right and transcendental meditation is a form of meditation still today. Yeah. Uh, in fact, probably the most practiced form still today that does relieve anxiety and mm. improve mood for many, many people. Whether it was defined as such for John when he went to learn it, no, I think it was more like, this will be cool and you're a hippie and right, yeah. give me the, exactly, he wanted the answer. But he did want the answer. I mean, he really was a man in search of all kinds of things, all he kinds of answers, now. but and he wanted it now. But it was a relief from his suffering. I mean, he clearly yeah. was suffering tremendously. And so he was looking for that. He did practice that. Whether that was a help to him, it may have been. It may have been a help to him because you definitely see a shift, but two things are happening. He's practicing transcendental meditation, but he's also getting together by letter and then physically with Yoko Ono. But you do see a change in his mood and in his writings. Yeah, and the key song of the period, and you mentioned earlier, was Julia mentioned uh, Ocean Child, which is the English translation, I believe, for, for Yoko. Ocean Child calls me. 
he said in interviews later, it was a fusion of his mother and the love of his life in that moment. There's a lot to be read into that. It was kind of a saying goodbye to Julia and welcoming this new person who really could. I think he transferred Julia yeah. onto this new yeah. person. And, and Yoko was this combination for him of lover-mother. Which, and, you know, you could, as you mentioned about Julia, he was never really able to make that yes. distinction with her either. Yes. So he gets together with Yoko and they start collaborating, if you will. And they also do something else. He reads a book about primal scream <laughs> therapy and he asks the author to come treat him. The author does. The end result is you're supposed to scream or physically and vocally release your suffering and the agony that you feel. But in that, you are made to think about deliberately and talk about and process and consciously register the things that were traumas for you and that make you incredibly sad. And so all of this material about his mother and feeling abandoned and his father and feeling abandoned and the chaos and the loss was something for the first time he was not only allowed to confront, he was made to confront and think about and then have this release and screaming. It's important because I think that the first album that he puts out with Yoko Ono, the Plastic Ono, the Plastic band, ono yeah. band, does contain, you know, the song, Mother, Mother, You Had Me, But I Never Had You. I wanted you, you didn't want me. So I, I just got to tell you, goodbye, goodbye. goodbye. Same verse about the father and then children. Don't do what I have done. I couldn't walk and I tried to run. So I just got to tell you goodbye, goodbye. And then this wailing of mama don't go. Daddy come home for the whole end of the song. And of course, also the song Julia specifically. Yeah. Um, his mother. So he emotes, he processes, and he releases these painful, painful feelings. I would say it's like the first psychotherapy, you know, that John Lennon has in a way to really process what's happened. And it was tough because the primal scream therapy course it required, I believe, several months and they had to go out to California yes. to, to be treated. And midway through, he was ordered to leave the country. So that the doctor would later say, we took him apart. We didn't put him back together. And so he was incredibly raw. And the result was this album, which is just some of the most nakedly vulnerable music you know, I've ever heard. I mean, it opens with a, a funeral bell and goes right into Mother, as you just said. And it, it closes with a song called My Mummy's Dead, which is made on a children's tape recorder. And it's just him kind of plain song singing it with a plastic guitar my mommy's dead so it's been so many years my mommy's dead track after track he, there's a song called working class hero where he basically just eviscerates aunt mimi and her ilk and all the people that tried to put him in a box when he just wanted to be free to think in a moat a song called god god is a concept by which we measure our pain and then he basically goes through and the whole song majority of the song is him saying things he doesn't believe in and he just don't believe in elvis i don't believe in bob dylan i don't believe in jesus i don't believe in the buddha don't All these things that he put all of his faith into and had let him down. And finally it ends in this big crescendo climax. I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me, Yoko and me. And that's reality. Very difficult to listen to, but worth 
hearing for so many reasons, incredible piece of art, a lot of pain that he was processing in that period. And his, his father actually chose that moment to re-enter his life. And Yoko encouraged that for them to reconnect. Yeah. Although it was a chaotic reconnection with a kind of comings and goings and move in with me. No, that's not going to work. They'd been in contact when John was first got famous. And John, of course, you know, alarm bells went off thinking like, oh, geez, are you looking for, you know, looking for money? They'd been off and on tense every couple of years. They would, he would kind of re-enter his life. He was like 50-something and he married a 19-year-old. Like They lived with him for a time. It, it was, it was a, definitely a strained, I don't even want to call it a relationship. It was just a strained coexistence. And then at some point his father like writes a song, yeah. uh, which is also <laughs> bizarre, bizarre to John. Was, that, yeah, yeah, well, yeah was, what are you doing? Right, he right. was like, I'm John Lennon's dad. I'm going to be right. a pop star. Right, was, right, right, which right. You know, made him mad to no end. They ended up towards the end of, I guess John found out that his dad was sick. I think he had, I forget if it was cancer or something. And they kind of struck up a phone relationship. And so he, when he died in 1976, they had made as Some much sort of, of a rapprochement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, they, they were at peace with each other, I think, as much as they ever were going to be. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be back in a minute. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day smart metabolic burn by brain md can kickstart your metabolism fight stubborn body fat especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey right now save over 30 percent on smart metabolic burn at getsmartburn.com the lowest price anywhere that's getsmartburn.com don't delay transform your life with smart metabolic burn from brain md these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration our products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh 
refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all. Even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney. Make everybody count. John has reconnected with his previously estranged father, and he's been working on music with the Plastic Ono Band. But he is still abusing drugs and trying to find an equilibrium with the world. Meanwhile, with Yoko Ono, they're right constantly together. He's encouraging her writing and yeah. her production um, and their production together. Then, you know, essentially, is Imagine really the next album? Imagine is the next album, and he he basically said that he put a little honey in it. He said that it was still the same sense of anger and frustration. There are songs on there. There's a song called But but the relief that, I mean, you wonder, right, right, if he had some relief in pouring all of this out and processing it, if that allowed him to write a song about peace and love and, you know, seeking that, if that could have been sort of the next stage in development for him in a way. Yeah. I mean, certainly that's true. And there were a few moments on a song called How Do You Sleep, about as nasty as some of the ones on the Plastic Ono Band. It was directed at Paul and all the resentment that he had towards him. Adding insult to injury, he got George Harrison to play guitar on it. So it was just ganging up on Paul. But for the most part, it was definitely a much more sedate affair, that whole album. Sean's birth occurs before or after? After Sean was born in 1976, Mm -hmm. I think on John's birthday. But prior to that, he and Yoko had a separation. John called it his lost weekend. It's confusing about exactly whose idea it was. The official sort of reason is that Yoko basically said, you know, I think we've been spending too much time together. I feel like the passion's starting to go you should go take some time and sow your wild oats, essentially. Here, go sow them with my assistant, Mei Pang. Exactly, yeah. I mean, they, he, she basically kicked him out. I mean, that's that's not the She kicked him out, but she also set up. Right, set up his new- He could go off with- To keep with, an eye on him. Right, with the assistant who she fully anticipated with had a sexual relationship with him, but yeah. at least she knew who it was, I guess, and that they had some sort of a deal. He's reported as being very remarkably stable during this time. He was drinking a fair amount. Mm. Uh, he, he was kicked out of clubs and stuff. Oh, it was okay. like one of the rare moments of, of John being a tabloid fodder kind of situation okay. where he, he was kind of in rough shape. And he was okay. partying with Alice Cooper and oh, Harry so Nilsson. he's not and Ringo. stable during this time. No, there's some songs. There's a... Uh, an outtake of a song he was singing called Just Because, an old cover. And he's he's drunk out of his mind on most of these sessions, and he's just wailing at the end. So for him, this is just a reenactment again of mom kicking you out or abandoning you or dropping you. By the way, unfortunately, this whole pattern of alcohol and drugs, which, you know, ultimately do a lot of destruction in his life. When people start drinking before the age of 16, the likelihood that you will be an alcoholic is like fivefold. Unfortunately, also having this kind of psychological difficulty to deal with and no other outlet, the likelihood for men particularly that they will abuse substances as a sort of self-medicating or a way of checking out is also greatly, greatly increased. So he really, for pretty much all of his life, struggled with alcohol and drug use. Yeah. And when he was with Yoko Ono, he moved from LSD, which causes both 
this feeling of sort of oceanic, as he refers to in his songs, <laughs> boundaryless, at one with the world feeling, but also is very reportedly ego destroying. The feeling of sort of, I am nothing, I am no one, I am disappeared. And so there can be terrible mood problems on LSD. And of course, there's the psychotic hallucinogenic thinking that goes on, which interestingly got incorporated into his music in ways that we say we feel are very creative and artistic. And also the mood states also got brought into his music in very artistic and creative ways. But Yoko Ono moved him away from LSD and into heroin. And the two of them ended up using heroin together, which has very different effects than LSD. Heroin is more about feeling like this fantastic high immediately that is reportedly like better than an orgasm and then sort of being out of it in a blissful state, but not hallucinatory. The negative is the withdrawal, you know, that occurs afterwards. He at some point recognizes he's not in good shape, really not in good shape and tries to pull back someone. And that seems to be the nature of the way things go in the later part of his life, sort of using and trying to use less. He's certainly aware of people who died from overdoses and so on. Mm. And he tries to be present for this son. They end up getting back together in 74. And he released his last, well, for a time, last musical album in, I think, 75. And his contract was up. He was just, I think, sort of done he, he, for a time. I think he just wanted to take a break. He had this beautiful period in 1976. He'd, he'd had a problem with, with the U.S. government. They were trying to deport him because he was so outspoken politically. The Nixon government and J. Edgar Hoover had files on him and, and were, were just, you know, using all sorts of techniques to try to get him out of the country. In 1976, he was finally given his green card and allowed to stay. Yoko became pregnant. She'd had several like, miscarriages prior. She was relatively older, so it was, it was very special that she was able to conceive. And the child, Sean, uh, Sean Ono Lennon, I think was his full name, was born on, I believe, John's birthday in 1976. Mm -hmm. And he became, in his words, a house husband. He stayed home to take care of Sean. He started baking bread. He really enjoyed domesticity in a way that he absolutely did not 10 years earlier living with, with well, Julie and Cynthia. He had this one-on-one -on -one bliss with this baby. Yeah. You know, the baby who I'm sure in some ways he wanted to be with a father like he was trying to be and maybe some undoing of the things that were done to him. He could be a, a good dad and undoing of the things that he did with Julian. But clearly he was an, a super present and very engaged father with Sean in a very different way. And you're right. He used to say, we're like twins. We're born on exactly the same day, which... Yes, you're born on the same day, but you're absolutely right. There is a lot of transference there, I think. But like a real blurring of boundaries. Yeah. Again, this is like repeatedly for John, the issue of having boundaries is scary because you can disappear. But if we're at one, if we're one person, then you're with me. Um, something that he tried to have at times with Yoko Ono. I mean, that's part of parenting to some degree, right? Is that your empathy toward your baby is so intense that you're like one person. And it seems that he, you know, literally, you know, he carried him around on his chest and he seemed to have been a positive period for him. There's just so many stories of that period of, of sending Polaroids of his of the first bread that he baked. He was so proud of that. And he and Paul were in contact in that period, which they hadn't really been much of in the first half of the decade. And they would talk a lot about having families. Paul had had his a little earlier in the in the seventies. And so it was a great way to bond and connect for these two old friends to finally sort of reconnect and put all the business stuff behind them. And it, yeah, it was a really special time for him. 
And he didn't really care about music at all. He'd say that my guitar was hung up above the bed for years, and I had more important things to, to deal with, like like my son and my family. And uh, it stayed yeah. that way for a while. He then did start to reconsider writing and being involved with music, and in fact was recording. Sadly, right at the time of his death, he returned to the studio to uh, record an album called Double Fantasy. It was a collaborative album with with him and Yoko. They had alternated songs. And it had just been released in the fall of 1980, doing all sorts of press for it. He was getting back into the groove of it. It was a big comeback album for him. He was working on the follow-up, left the studio on uh, December 8th, 1980, and was walking in, into home to see Sean at the Dakota apartment complex in uh, Central Park West in New York. A fan, if you could call him that. A man who sounds... Deranged. He was not diagnosed at the time with schizophrenia or a psychotic illness. He just, he had some thoughts about needing to do this. Chapman. Who, uh, David Chapman, yeah, who's and, still and, in prison, and, and shot him, and, and and obviously devastating for the world, devastating for a family, devastating for so many reasons. The fact that he appears to have achieved some level of of peace, he kind of rebooted, built through raising Sean, I think, healed a lot within himself, and then reintegrated his great passion music into it, and seemed to be at a place that I would have imagine he was probably happier than he'd been in a long time, makes it even more heartbreaking to me. And it's also pretty clear from the album and where he was with it, that through the tragedies, through some resolution of that for himself, through the use of a lot of drugs, which sometimes really do decrease one's ability over time to cognitively function well, he seems to have maintained this creativity in, in both his ability to compose and write it seems as though, you know, had he not died, he would have continued to be creatively productive. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he had a whole wealth of music stored up. Actually, there were a number of albums that released after his death that were just things that he was working on. He, he had a lot in the pipe. He was planning on maybe going back on tour, which he hadn't done, I think, since the Beatles. I'm, I need to check that. But I, I think, he, yeah, he was really uh, feeling revitalized and excited, which is nice to think of him that way and remember him that way. Or that at least he achieved some of that before he died. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the opening track of Double Fantasy, which came 10 years after the Plastic Ono Band, is a bell. On Plastic Ono Band, it was a, a funeral bell. In Double Fantasy, it was a wishing bell. It's real high-pitched ting. And the opening song is just like starting over. And it's just about him rekindling his love with Yoko. And it, it, it's very sweet. It's a guy who turned 40 who's reevaluating his life and is happy where he is and he's at peace. It's a nice way to remember him, I think. That wraps things up for this episode. Thanks for joining me today. And a huge thanks to Jordan Runtug. If you haven't already, check out his show Rivals to hear more about the fascinating world of the music industry. If you're interested in more information about the people we discuss on the show, you can check out my book, The Power of Different, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Gail Saltz or at Personology MD. Until next time. Personology is a production of iHeartMedia. The executive producers are Dr. Gail Saltz and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. The associate producer is Lowell Berlanti. Editing, music, and mixing by Lowell Berlanti. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, Yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, ten a girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait, did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.